You're listening to All Over the Place, the official podcast of Media Pub Live, with your hosts, Eric Provoznik, Jim Culver, Marty Zamora, and Christine Leninger. All Over the Place, where the fun sanity never ends. All right, back on All Over the Place, the official podcast of Media Pub Live. Christine, Jim with us. And Marty, unfortunately, not with us today. I'm very bummed Marty couldn't be here because this, we are musicalicious today because we have with us the author of the book, which came out last year, Record Store Day, the most improbable comeback of the 21st century. Welcome, Larry Jaffe, to All Over the Place. Thanks. I am always all over the place, so it's it's appropriate. <laughs> so. well, we're music lovers. We are, and and you did such an amazing job with Record Store Day, compiling on just the history of that. Now you know, momentous once a year annual and something, and then two if you really you, you want to count the uh, the Black Black Friday date. I, I always look at that as like bonus Record Store Day. So, uh, what you know, as a music lover, what got you uh, heading down the road to do to Record Store Day? Well, here's a funny uh, aside about this. I sold the bulk of my record collection in 2010, um, which was about 4,000 LPs. And I, at that point, I had just finished editing a, a magazine that covered physical media. We did do quarterly, uh, like a, a section on vinyl, but you know, it was more like an aberration. We, so anyway, I was, I was looking to make changes in my life and, and um, I was involved with a woman who basically was into feng shui and wanted to, um, um, uh, you know, it took me into like download, like transferring my uh, CD collection to, to uh, you know, iTunes and less clutter, right? Less clutter. Exactly. So I had kept about 150 records. There were two boxes. Do not touch very clearly labeled. <laughs> These were the records that meant the most to me. A lot of them were autographed. One of those boxes disappeared. <laughs> you know, like, for example, Patty Smith's Radio Ethiopia. When I was, how, I, I mean, old, I, I hate to cut you off, but how much longer or sooner after that box disappeared, did this lady disappear? <laughs> um actually no I, I endured that for about another year or so and uh year and a half or so um but i remember telling a friend of mine in 2012 you know i sold my record collection and he was like you did what <laughs> and no. it, it took me about another year to realize what a colossal mistake i made yeah. um and i've since rebuilt it to its former glory of 4,000 LPs, of which maybe half of it was uh, because I would help out my friend who had a record store um, about once a month. And he, he said, I can't pay you, but you can just take whatever you want out of the used records. And um, sure enough, I rebuilt all my Elvis Costello, my Dylan, Neil Young. I mean, I, I'd find good stuff that at the time, this was like 2013, 2014, there wasn't really the demand that came up. And it was funny, in, in, in late 2013, I was going through the bins and he, I, I, I come across this, um, this record by the Civil Wars. And I, I just became fascinated about this duo because the New York Times had done a feature article about them. 
And then I think I listened on Spotify to some of the music and it was like, really, I love how their voices blend. I'm not a huge country fan, but I do have, you know, some country artists I really pay a lot of attention to. And, I, but there was this uh, gold foil or silver foil that said record store day on it. And I, I said to my friend, what's record store day? And he, he says, oh, they do this like uh, limited editions a couple times a year, twice a year. I missed the, the, the first seven years of Record Store Day. I had no idea that was going on. Because <laughs> at that point, I was just like sort of zeroed out on vinyl. I just wasn't paying attention. Um, so, you know, once the book came up, you know, I had a lot of catch up to do. And uh, what, what was, as you're doing the research, as you're doing the interviews with all, all these great people, uh, uh, like, like Kurtz and uh, the, 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 one of the founders of it, uh, what what was the one thing, or was there any uh, thing that the sparked you to saying, you know what, I need to go back and get this one, or didn't think about that, or just you know, find tracking down a, a record store thing? Yeah, yeah, no, actually, a couple of things that happened. Um, well, first of all, you mentioned Michael Kurtz. He commissioned uh, me to write the book, um, and uh, about a, two years prior to that, I had done. Uh, a feature article about something called Record Store Day Summer Camp, which mm -hmm. is a conference for the retailer, independent retailers. Um, and it was uh, in a magazine out of the UK called Long Live Vinyl. So Michael liked that piece. And I get, you know, I guess it was stuck in his head that, you know, maybe we can uh, turn this into a 15th anniversary book. Um, so Michael and Carrie Colleton, uh, another co-founder, they were very helpful and you know, gave me a list of people who I, I needed to, um, you know, interview. Um, it's interesting going in. Um, I, you know, I had a strategy that I was like, well, maybe it's like sort of people, you know, take credit for being involved in the founding of Record Store Day, but it's almost like being at Woodstock. Like, you wonder if they really were at what's, like, you know, like, um, so there was this one very pivotal meeting and, you know, uh, Michael and Carrie were convinced that somebody from um, Newberry Comics, um, small chain of stores, uh, were was at the meeting and I tracked down this individual, Larry Mansdorf, and he said, no, I, I wasn't there, <laughs> you know, he, my colleagues. Yes, you were. No, you weren't. No, I wasn't. Yes, you were. Yeah. So Amy was, and then, um, and then it turned out, um, no, everyone thought Amy was there, and then it, it turned out Larry was there instead at the very end. But I, so I interviewed both of them. Now this book originated. It was uh, the pandemic was about six or seven months old at that point when I started working on it in earnest. So it was totally done via uh, Zoom. Um, interviews um, and also I mean the libraries were closed too so you know I, I bought a bunch of books and you know um, through uh, you know different uh, used sources to, to mm -hmm. get uh, reference books that I needed for research purposes um, so one of the things that I'm going in I thought the book was about those limited editions to your question. Right. And I realized during the early interviews that it really had not much to do with that. It was more about recapturing 
the importance that independent record stores have in their communities. And, you know, for example, um, I think it was a store in Texas. Um, there was a, um, a tornado that went through and um, the community was without electricity for a while. And the record store did have electricity and then invited everyone to, you know, stay as long as they needed to, um, you know, as a place of re uh, sanctuary refuge. Mm -hmm. um, there was another story about a, a two DJs in Chicago had their first date at this record store. And then they ended up actually having their wedding at the record store. Yep. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, it was about this community. And I realized, you know, reflecting on my own life, that it was something that was very important to me as a teenager. And uh, I, I sort of missed. And it, it, it was, it, it's funny, when I ended up back into the vinyl bug, it was, uh, I was selling the remnants of music memorabilia that I, I had just moved. And um, I had CDs and I had old, uh, you know, Mojo magazines. And so he's telling up how much money he's going to give me. And I'm going through his dollar bin of vinyl. And I find this uh, record that didn't have like a really great cover, but it was a burlesque record. And I said to myself, burlesque soundtrack mm -hmm. and i was saying to myself you know burlesque clubs had great jazz music like these like small trios and stuff and i, I bet you the music on this is amazing and sure enough it was <laughs> you know it was like from 1962 or something like that the record was vintage it was in decent shape so it sounded okay and uh as soon as i put it on i, I still had a turntable at that point as soon as i dropped the needle i was like i'm back <laughs> and but it took it was interesting it took a, a while for me to um buy like new records i remember the first new well not so much new but sealed vinyl record that i paid 20 dollars for something like that was amy winehouse's uh, back to black mm. And the main reason I bought the vinyl was one. Well, it was a great album. I knew it, but I couldn't find the CD. I had it, but I had, I had no idea what happened to it. So I was like, I need to hear it at that moment. And um, so then, you know, soon thereafter, I started buying at a frantic pace. I mean, I mentioned uh, when I first found out about Record Store Day. So like the next go round in that coming April of four, um, 2014. You know, I had my list and I, you know, probably bought at least six or seven records that day. And, um, um, I waited online for about an hour to get in, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I would plan my um, my trips, you know, where I lived uh, at the time. I was fortunate that there were at least a half dozen really good record stores within a half hour of driving so, um, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I mean, that I ended up writing a book about it. I had no idea those first, you know, five, five, six years when I was a participant in Record Store Day as a consumer. Right. And uh, you mentioned teenager, teenager. Is that when the vinyl bug hit or did, was it sooner? Like when, when did music become uh, an integral part of your life? Um, well, probably at the time that my grandmother gave me a transistor radio in 1964 or so, 
I was about six years old, and uh, I remember having the little earphone, the one thing, <laughs> listening to Top 40 Radio and Beatlemania, and my fa- I remember distinctly watching the Beatles on Ed Sullivan and my father saying that the Beatles are a communist plot. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I didn't know what a Beatle was or a communist at that point, but it was like, whatever it is, I want to be part of it. So, Those damn pop tops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. I, I met Paul McCartney and I met uh, Ringo Starr, and um, um, which were, they were both very nice to me. But um, I, um, John and George were my two favorite Beatles. But <laughs> George, the, the the unsung Beatle, absolutely. Uh, now, and uh, in I believe it's chapter five or uh, whichever chapter it was, you've got so many different artists talking about when they fell in love with vinyl, why why it's so important now. And like there's Robin Hitchcock, Mike Patton, McCartney's on there, Joan Jett, just a wide variety of people. And were those people that you spoke to or were the, was it a combination of stuff or you, you, you compiled from over the years or I mean, how, how, like, as, as you did the book, how much was interviews versus or in addition to? Those interviews uh, were compiled by Record Store Day ever since the beginning. Mm-hmm. So, so they, they did give me a batch of, Stuff that I edited down, you know, to the best stories and sound bites. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that that particular chapter um, did not involve my own reporting. To your question. Well, and for again, folks, check out this book, Record Store Day: The Most Improbable Comeback of the 21st Century. And uh, actually, there's one thing in there. I'm guessing just for uh, to fit it onto the title, is, is it uh, technically the full title, the most improbable technological comeback of the 21st century? Or it's either way, vinyl's back. I'm, I'm loving that. And, and one of the things, the, the undercurrent throughout the entire book is just how much record stores and especially record store day started the, 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 uh, the re, uh, I don't want to call it the re-inspiration, but the main uh, theme around record stores and record store day, community brings us together. And that's one of the things we have here. I mean, why one of the big reasons I put uh, all over the place together as a podcast, jumping off the quote from the Elvis movie last year. And I don't know how true it is, but, you know, Elvis saying music is the thing that brings us together. No matter what our differences are, music unites us. And Record Store Day is that one day or two days out of the year, if you want to count the, the uh, Black Friday. But community. And, you know, Larry, as you were interviewing people, how, how much did that come across with uh, with the individuals? Oh, I mean, just being on the line on any record store day, you get into conversations with people, you know, because you're stuck there for a while, unless you you go, the, even if you go like the night before. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, usually I get, I moved back to Manhattan three years ago. And there's um, a store that I frequent and uh, it never fails that I get into conversations of what, you know, people are looking to find themselves or, and this past April, actually, um, I asked, I was doing some research of my own book, basically. I said, oh, did you hear about that? There was a uh, book about Record Store Day. And And the guy says, no. So then... Well, let me, here's one a copy for you. Would you like it signed? No, actually, I showed it to him on my phone, the cover. 
So then he put two and two together. He goes, oh, you're Larry Jaffe. <laughs> I said, yeah. So I said, but thank you for letting me know that you didn't know about the book. And he goes, oh, I think I'll order one now. So, so I, I, has that been a reaction in, you know, in the, the months since the release of the book and, and even going into record store days? I mean, just uh, what, what what's the response been from the record store community with the book? Oh, it's been, it's been great. Um, you know, it's interesting a lot of the stores wanted the hardcover um, edition, which sold out. I forgot how many copies there were, um, like something like 5,000 or something like that. Maybe maybe less than that, but 3,000. But uh, it included a LP of record store performances. Nice. Um, and, you know, a pretty A-list group of people like Metallica, Brandy Carlisle. Um, it was like all different genres, um, about a dozen tracks. McCartney was on it. Um, and then there was the paperback edition that came out simultaneously. Um, so, and the hardcover sold out by the next day, actually. Mm -hmm. But so I did the book launch at a uh, store called Looney Tunes in uh, West Babylon, New York. Um, and sold, and they sold about 150 copies of the hardcover and, you know, signed books. And um, so, I mean, at least at that, that particular um, location, there was, uh, you know, a lot of interest uh, from. And, I, and that same day, actually, I went to two other stores in Manhattan and, mm -hmm. signed, and signed books there as, as well. Yeah. And that's another chapter in the book where you tie and you mentioned a couple of them earlier, the Chicago location. And uh, but there's excerpts from different cities and spotlighting what makes it great. And I, I especially love the one. I grew up in Ohio in northeast Ohio. So the one for the, the story from Niles with with Dave Grohl, that was a phenomenal story. And now, as you were doing the book and of course, with COVID and you know, travel a little more difficult. But in the time since, have you been able to go out uh, outside of the, the New York area and visit uh any of the records yeah, yeah. the book and are there any uh, like any stories you've uh, gotten post post visits um well yeah i i went to europe actually last summer and um it, it was interesting they it, it, i guess the strategy was to do the the marketing in different ways so it was sort of built excitement like i brought it to a store in London called Sister Ray, and I showed them. Um, well, I think I had the hardcover as well as the paperback with me. And they said we had no idea, <laughs> so they said. So I said, "Would you sell it?" And they said, "Of course, we'd sell it." Yeah. So um, yeah, they saw this saw the value in that. Right. And when I started reading the book, and, and I, I like what you do that uh, at the start of a lot of the chapters, you get quotes from a lot of the record store day ambassadors. And, but so I'm, I read, I start reading the book, there's the intro and then there's, it goes into this long uh, diatribe about, you know, why record store day is important. And then I realized, oh, it's Jack White talking right now. So, but I, I just, what he talks about, you know, how it's up to us to carry on the love of vinyl and getting kids to record stores, getting the next generation in there. And of course, you've got two kids, one of whom uh, you, you mentioned uh, your daughter's going to be the one inheriting most of the records, except for that, that little small sect. But your, your son's getting the Black Sabbath. Yeah, there you go. Uh, 
And one of the things, and actually, I'm very quickly gonna gonna uh, we do a little feature on the show, Larry, called uh, Three Fur, and we like list three of, three of our favorite things. And Jack White, one of the things he mentioned, well, I want to get this right. Why would you want to hear Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band or the Stone Satanic Majesty's Request in anything but stereo? I'm gonna take that a little a little side trip here, and uh, if Christine or Jim, you want to jump in on this, I, I know I'm more the vinyl guy here, but Larry, I want to get your take on what do you consider the three albums that should only be listened to on vinyl with the cracks, with the pops, with the hisses? Um, I would go back to my teenage years um, for Bob Dylan, Highway 61 Revisited. Um, I think the last, I mean, the first time I heard Like a Rolling Stone and Changed My Life. Um, I would go to Patty Smith's Horses. Um, again, you know, I was what, maybe 16 when I heard that for the first time. Um, and probably Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> you know, I mean, and that's not to disparage the music of the last, you know, 20, 30 years. I mean, you know, it's. I mean, well, that, that's a separate question. We'll get that. We'll get into that in a second. Because <laughs> I, I just, I've got to throw mine out there. And for me, it's anything by Jay Giles band. I prefer listening. They. Yeah, I, have, I have everything that they put out. Actually. Yeah, I, I, I completed my Jay Giles. Well, I don't have the forty-five yet for Fright Night theme, but I've got all the other stuff, and yeah. in, including uh, you're getting even while I'm getting odd. We, we even minus Peter Wolf. I, it's, I, it's a completest thing, but anything by Jay Giles band. I prefer to listen to Bob Seger on vinyl. Yeah. And this one, I think Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska should only be listened to on vinyl. Vinyl Me Please. Better experience. Vinyl Me Please just put out a, a, a great version of that. Of Who did? Vinyl Me Please. The oh. Yeah. Um, and it sounds better than the original. Yeah, I have to say. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> Jotting that note down. Um, yay, more, spending more money on vinyl. Twist my arm. Okay. Got it. <laughs> uh, so my list would be more personal than comprehensive, but uh, my three would be, uh, number one, Michael Jackson's Thriller. Uh, I listened to so many memories, listening to that with my, my sister when we were kids on my on my, my parents' record player, and it's just an, a phenomenal album on, on vinyl. Uh, another would be Earth, Wind & Fire's I Am. Uh, I had a college roommate who was into vinyl, and he played that over and over again, and I absolutely loved it. It was a beautiful record on, on vinyl. And uh, the third one's a little a little out there, but it's uh, the Steve Martin show, Wild & Crazy Guy. Uh, first, yes. first comedy album I ever listened to on vinyl, and being able to hear the audience so clearly in the audience interactions it makes it a completely different show than if it's on, on video, on CD, anything like that. It just completely different experience, really feeling that interaction. I'm so, so glad you brought that up because my dad had that one. Let's get small and comedy is not pretty. We, we were a household with, with uh, Steve Martin vinyl yeah, and, and Bill Cosby vinyl. We didn't know at that time. So, but you of know, course. Bill Cosby is a very funny fellow, right? Absolutely essential on vinyl. Yeah. That part where the audience member just yells out something unintelligible and Steve Martin says, yeah, I remember my first beer. <laughs> perfect, man. When you can hear everything clearly, it's perfect. So. I suppose on comedy, my, my favorite is Lenny Bruce. I have a huge collection of his vintage records. Um, 
I did a, f a few months ago a piece for Goldmine magazine about Trevor Noah. Um, he um, announced that he was leaving the comedy, uh, the Daily Show, and was moving from New York, his multi-million dollar uh, penthouse uh, was up for sale. And I was thinking, well, imagine what kind of record collection he would have. And I was thinking he would probably have the pantheon of comedy records like would think. Richard Pryor, you know, uh, George Carlin, you know, um, I mentioned a couple others that I, I thought he might find interesting. So I tried to get an interview with him. And yeah, he, he earlier that year, he had um, hosted the Grammys and he just hosted it again this, this year. Um, so I thought maybe I could find out what his music tastes were and stuff like that, but they never gave me the interview. <laughs> so, but we ran the article anyway. <laughs> so. I'd say keep, if anything, pers persistence is always fun in what we do. So I'd say keep going for it. That, that would be, uh, I'm always interested to know what people are listening to. And it, 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 it informs so much about what they are. And that, a, a great quote, uh, a person should have a personality, said Iggy Pop, record store ambassador one year. You don't get a personality. You don't get one dicking around on a computer. You learn about a person right there. The, the look at their vine. Look at their music collection. That's how you learn about a person. I agree with that. Yeah. And uh, Christine, you know, uh, going going around the horn here. Sure. Yeah. And, and, Be happy what, to share what, mine. What, 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 what is essential for you on vinyl? Well, of course. In our impromptu threefer. Right. And of course, growing up in the household that I did, my dad was huge. I'm with you, Larry, on the Pink Floyd, but my dad was also a big Moody Blues fan. So Days of Future Past, I would have to have on vinyl just because that was so ingrained in me as a child. Um, but then also, um, um, the first album that I ever bought for myself with babysitting money was um, General Public. And so I of course, just recently purchased that. <laughs> I, I think it's, <laughs> it's in my, me, as a matter of fact. It's yes, in my collection at Eric's place. <laughs> so yeah, that's one of my favorites, and it's still to me, you know, say what you want about it, but um, I just, you know, I love that album front to back. But um, besides for that, I would probably say like maybe Van Halen's first album. You know, it's just amazing on vinyl. Yeah, that, that's over there. Yeah, I know it's over there on the other yeah. side. Yeah. Yeah, I also wrote a piece about uh, the best 80s records. I think I chose like 100. And General Public was on that list. Nice. Yeah, I love uh, I Confess is one of my favorite singles of, you know. The, 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 oh, that's English Beat. Oh, oh all right. right. <laughs> Ooh, a little Dave Wakeling stuff Dave going on here. Uh -oh. right, yes, right. I love, and I've seen, I've seen, uh, um, I've seen Dave Wakeling probably six or eight times now. You know, <laughs> not to get too gushy here, Larry, but this is one yeah. of the many reasons I love this woman. She can just keep up with me musically. It's awesome. So, uh, now. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the, the, um, there is newer stuff now. And of course, I, I'm Jack White. I am, I've become such a huge fan of him in the 21st century, whether it's White Stripes or, you know, Dead Weather, just all the stuff he's doing. But to me, I think he released one of the best album concepts with Lazaretto. And just when I heard about what, what was going on this album, I thought, oh, God, I'm going to pay 75 bucks for this. But what, what are your thoughts, Larry, on, on, on an album that one side, you've got to start the groove from the inside out. 
there's uh, and that's at 33 and a third. So you flip the side over and you drop the needle down on not one or wherever you drop the needle. It's an intro. It's an electric intro. And the other one's an acoustic intro. And then on the spindle, you play at 78 speeds, you get one thing at 45 speeds, you get another thing. And you, 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 you got to know, I mean, I mean, just Jack White would be a record sort of ambassador. What, what do you think about Jack White as he has been someone who's really trumpeting vinyl? Well, it's funny. So when we started making vinyl in 2017, um, Jack White um, gave his blessing and we thought, all right, would you like to keynote? And um, it turned out we didn't know for sure he was going to do it until three weeks before, but Sean Nafit showed up and had a great time. But the funny thing is, Two minutes before it was supposed that he was supposed to be on, I found out that I was introducing him and I hadn't prepared anything. So I'm, I'm just spewing out whatever I could think of. You know, like who else would shoot little rockets into the sky with little record players with balloons and it still played and then it came down, down to earth and all this and um, I'm running out of material, you know, and I see Jack in the wing with a big grin on his face. And he knew I was like, at this point, you know, please save me here. Um, so, um, yeah, I loved what he did with Lazaretto. And in the book, actually, there's a great story about how he set the record of the fastest record made. He, he did a performance at Third Man in Nashville um, and... Uh, two-sided seat um, single was was planned um, and how it was cut directly and brought over to United Record Pressing um, and um, within four hours it came back for sale on uh, pressed vinyl um, with with sleeves everything I mean it was it was quite a feat and in the book I, I sort of go detail by detail of how they pulled that off and how scary it was, you know, whether they could do it, um, you know, because he basically put it out there that this was going to be the fastest record. <laughs> so, And having to replace your cutter within 24 hours. So that, that was, that's correct. Yeah. There was technical, uh, technical uh, mishaps along the way. Um, someone, someone, should, someone should do a, a, a show, a, a movie short about it. Just uh, the frenetic pace of it. Yeah. No, I think it is on YouTube already, actually. <laughs> oh, see, there you go. I, I got I to gotta catch up with stuff. Now, well, uh, you know, uh, uh, of course, you, you read the book. and There's all these unique pressings like, you know, uh, Toto one year put out something in the shape of Africa and all that. And uh, I, of course, uh, this year I was able to get uh, Clark Kent, my Stuart Copeland, my favorite drummer. And he finally put that up this year on his uh, Kryptone green vinyl. What, what have been some of your favorites? Uh, unique things from record store day. Yeah. So here's an interesting uh, thing. I was working on the book for about three months and this pop-up store opened up um, on my street, a block and a half away. And at first I thought it was just a a bookstore, but then when I, I went in, they were selling records too. And they were selling record store day records in sealed packages that were never opened. And I was like a kid in a candy store. Yeah. So one of the uh, record store day releases I bought that the first day was uh, Donny Hathaway live at the bitter end. 
And I had heard about that record, but I had never seen it before. You know, so it was a bit of a holy grail. Nice. And Jim, yeah, of course, you, you've got a son, but didn't you? You were uh, telling me recently uh, your nephew is a big vinyl guy, right? He is, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's in his uh, early 20s, a huge vinyl fan. <clears throat> and, you know, up until that point, I, I didn't wasn't fully aware of what, what a comeback vinyl was making. But I realized it kind of it kind of halfway skipped over my generation. But then, you know, millennials and and uh, and Gen Zers are, are, re- are just t- completely into it. And uh, yeah, so it was it was interesting seeing that resurgence through this kind of generational perspective. And actually what Jim was just talking about here, um, the best selling records of last year, seven of the 10 were either millennial or Gen Z type artists, you know, taught by Taylor Swift, of course. But um, I think that's bodes really well for the future of the industry. Um, and, you know, making vinyl is the B2B conference that I co-founded in 2017. And, you know, those guys are trying to wonder if the um, and women as well, uh, um, uh, whether they still have a future, you know. Um, and this is one of the reasons why I think we do have a great future. You know, that that the younger generation is is gravitated to the format as well now and that's one great thing i, I love seeing just because you know, i grew up around and my dad had tons of vinyl uh, even my mom had uh, you know she she brought in uh, a lot of beatles stuff as well in addition to my dad but just growing up around just having something tactile to touch much like you know a 35 millimeter film is so much better watched than something from digital i, I just the artwork the i'm a liner note junkie so, I mean, I, I've had that love and then, uh, of course, the vinyl revival. And like you, Larry, I, I, uh, I didn't I didn't have 4,000 records to, uh, to, to dump, but uh, I, I still have, there's a few that I left back in Wisconsin or just things I've shed through the years. But do you envision like uh, things that you talk about at making vinyl uh, with the, the growth there's been every year since 2008, and especially in the last few years with Taylor Swift that you mentioned, the newer artists, do you think we're going to reach a bubble at some points or do you think people now that they realize that vinyl has had a revival that, that we kind of need to keep it as, as a vital part? No, I think it's an addiction. I, I, I really think that the pandemic had a lot to do with this, that people were like stuck at home, especially during the lockdown period. And they finally, you know, became um, used to um, their, where they lived, you know, and, but they were looking for some new hobby. You know, Mm -hmm. some people bake bread, but I think other people, you know, bought records and, you know, either, you know, got, got the stereo working again or bought a new turntable, Um, you know, e-commerce did pretty well during that whole period. and I think the kids actually paid attention to what their parents were doing in terms of like listening to records again, mm-hmm. which is why people like Billie Eilish all of a sudden became very popular. I mean, she was already doing the digital thing on YouTube and, all, you know, um, but you could be sure that uh, when she signed her record contract, she wanted vinyl day of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, when my book came out, Billie Eilish tweeted about the book and i was like i was pretty beside myself <laughs> very cool nice yeah 
Yeah. And then Record Collector Magazine in the UK also wrote an article about Record Store Day. And in the sen- same sentence, I mentioned as Taylor Swift, you know, being the ambassador of Record Store Day. And then I came out with this book. <laughs> so my daughter was like, she couldn't believe that it would be mentioned in the same sentence as Taylor Swift. <laughs> so. And uh, it, it was funny. I, the record store where uh, we did uh, the brunt of our shopping this year, I called the day before just to make sure they had the uh, Violent Femmes 40th anniversary. And they said, make sure you get here early. Beware the Swifties. And I didn't realize, I mean, I knew that Taylor Swift was into it and uh, she was the ambassador recently, but I'm like, yeah, we were surrounded. Unfortunately, I was able to get my copy. Of, they only had two copies in the store, so they didn't carry over. But do you, uh, do you see uh, whether, you know, like in your research or w- with your kids, do you see them like not just going there for that niche thing just for Taylor Swift? Do you see them doing what we did all these years as flipping through the different stacks and, and maybe finding something new? Uh, yeah, actually, my daughter is like an old soul. I took her to a jazz record store um, not too far from where I'm sitting right now. And she bought a Ella Fitzgerald record. You know, like she she's interested in combing the bins and finding something unusual. Sometimes you'll buy it just based on the cover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, just be surprised on what, what, what she's going to listen to. Um, you know, yeah, I can't I- remember who in the book said it, but they're like, yeah, just go into a record store and not have a plan. I think it was right. Mike Patton said that. He's like, just go in, don't just go and find something. Yeah. And there is such a joy in that. I, and I hope that's getting passed down to the next generation. I mean, the other thing that Jack White said at Making Vinyl in 2017, he gave us like all marching orders. We had about 300 industry professionals there. And he said, you know, make something beautiful, um, which could be in many different forms. You know, um, you know, Jack, if he wasn't going to pursue music, he was going to make furniture. He still does it from time to time. Um, so when I, you know, gave him the books, you know, and his chapter was in there, I showed it where. It, so I, I, I inscribed it. I said, Jack, you told us to make something beautiful. And I hope you, you, you think that I did that with this, you know, with this book. Um, and I did another interesting thing about him, since you brought him up, when I finally had some alone time with him after that first day of the conference, and um, I said to him, we were taking photographs, and I said to him, yeah, my kids think it's so cool, I'm meeting you. And he says, how old are your kids? So I said, um, at the time, my daughter was about 20, my, my son was about 24. He looks at me, he says, you look too young to have kids that age. <laughs> I was just thinking, what a sweet thing for him to say. You know, he seems like a cool dude. Yeah, he definitely is. Yeah. And uh, I, I want to read this quote too. I, again, people like uh, all over the place, listeners. I cannot implore you enough, music fans, get this. And Jim, I think this would be a great gift for your nephew. And and actually, uh, the first quote for your son. Actually, before I get to the other one, if boys would stop playing video games and buy vinyl they'd realize all the cool girls are buying vinyl. So very, I think that's an endorsement if ever there was one. I also like young people turn from using music as background noise to focusing on it as the important art form it is. And I'm glad you're, uh, again, Larry, great job compiling all this stuff for Record Store Day. The improbable comeback of, the most improbable comeback of the 21st century. And I also I want to get a little bit more into to making vinyl that, that you co-founded. And, you know, that 
what what is the uh, the makeup of it? It's just conferences, then you guys break out there, and it's just strategy. Just uh, tell us about making vinyl. Well, when we I, I first pitch um, my co-founder Brian Ekis on on doing a con a, a conference dedicated to vinyl specifically, and this was after I had the epiphany that I screwed up by selling my collection. Um, <laughs> So at the time, Brian represented a, a, a trade association that um, was um, the, the, the remaining CD replicators. Um, you know, and they saw that their decline of business, you know, over the recent years since Napster emerged. So one of the members of... Uh, of uh, Colonial purchasing, which was they used to pool their resources so they could get better deals on uh, plastic and um, you know the raw materials that went into CDs. So one of their members was um, a, a man named um, Steve Sheldon, who uh, was the owner of a, a business in Santa Monica, California, called Rainbow Records. And in fact, his his um, uh, Office was used in the uh, the movie um, Straight Out of Compton, hmm. um, so Steve was able to he lo he loved the idea to do a vinyl specific conference, and this was a case when I pitched the idea of it first. It was probably too much too soon, but in early 2017, uh, by this point, Michael Kurtz and I had been become friends. I remember we, we were having breakfast in February and we were talking about all kinds of stuff. And I remember Michael said to me when he buys, he doesn't buy CDs anymore. He only buys vinyl. And, I, you know, occasionally I would still buy a CD. But so, but little did I know that a few months later, Brian said to me, remember you had that idea about a vinyl conference? I think we're going to do it. And I was like, when? He said, this year. I was like, when? <laughs> that was probably in fall. So that was like April. And he said, what, what we're going to do first is um, in Europe, there's a, a, a meeting of physical media manufacturers, and, and I'm going to sort of broach the subject and see what they think of it. And it, the reaction was pretty good. So we came back, and in June, um, we had a um, – dinner um michael kurtz myself brian and steve sheldon to sort of hatch out what this making vinyl could be and um then we had to get various board approvals and things like that um so but it was still you know like throw it against the wall and see if it sticks you know if they build it if we build it will they come um and we just we had no idea that we, we did know that there were about a dozen businesses that would never stop pressing vinyl on both mm -hmm. sides of the Atlantic. So we, we gathered all, all those companies as well as about seven new ones that we had heard of in the previous five years that had started the, you know, pressing records. Um, what we didn't know was that there were another dozen in the audience planning on starting new pressing businesses. So it was a matter of, uh, you know, figuring out what the economics are and, 
you know, some of the companies decided they were going to bootstrap their operations. Um, and, you know, we also uh, had the labels come in and, and talk about, um, you know, where they think the market is going and how much the demand they're getting from artists in particular um, who want their records uh, day and day with digital and, mm -hmm. and CDs. Sometimes that wasn't always possible because there wasn't enough capacity. Um, I mean, one of the things that my book d tries to do is dispel a lot of misconceptions about what Record Store Day is, you know, how they, you know, cornered the entire market for pressing, which is ridiculous. Now, because these are, these are like small quantities for the most part. Right. Um, and about two years ago, Adele was, um, you know, criticized for, you know, having a half a million records um, and tying up machines and, and, and things like that, you know. But that that was not really what was happening. I mean, we making vinyl has a pulse on the the real manufacturing that's going on all over the world, and we estimate that capacity now is at two hundred million records. So if Adele was producing a half a million, it's still a blip on the radar, you know. Right. So. Um, so, you know, there's a, you mentioned packaging before and liner notes and things like that. We have sessions about that. We have um, more technical things about, for example, in, in June, we have a conf, we have a session on um, using digital sources. One of the things that we're floating is the possibility of, um, during the CD era, there was something called the sparse code. And it was this recording um, industry body that wanted the public to feel confident that they were buying like an all digital product if that's mm -hmm. what they wanted. So, we, you know, now there's, um, I wouldn't say controversy, but um, sometimes these records are really expensive and, and the uh, labels sometimes play loose with language. And they say remastered from the original analog tapes. And then when you dive into it, you find out that they weren't. And in fact, uh, uh, an audio file label called uh, Mobile Fidelity um, just agreed to a $25 million settlement because they, they concealed a, a digital step in that process. Yeah, and I just remember seeing about that. When you, whoops. Yeah, there were plenty of irate customers um, I don't consider myself an audiophile, although I do have a couple of mobile fidelity records. Um, I never had the expensive equipment to, to hear the difference. So that's one of the reasons, you know, if somebody gave me $100, I would buy, you know, four records instead <laughs> of buying one for <laughs> one audiophile quality record. Um, yeah, I'm surprised I still have some fingers left because I, I broke up. My dad had a really nice uh, Akai turntable, and he always bought the diamond needles. Dad, he wasn't an audiophile, but he wanted. And like, I broke more than my fair share of needles, and I'm, I'm glad my dad decided not to chop my fingers off. Yeah, when my son was yeah. uh, about two years old, he broke my uh, cartridge on <laughs> my turntable. Yeah, it's uh, yes. Well, he just, you know, it was within, you know, he was like walking at that point. He was able to just. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I was just like, hey, there, there's dust on there. Uh-oh, Dad? Yeah. No, no records for a couple of days before the replacement was found. So uh, now uh, for our, our making vinyl, are, are the conferences, is that industry only or is that open to the public? Well, I mean, it costs about 500 or $600 a ticket to get in. So um, a consumer could, you know, if you're that interested in how records are made, uh-huh. And, you know, have that kind of money to, to spend, we certainly would welcome them. Um, See, I, I used to work for Warner, so I, I wouldn't be able to get this. Under, uh, I wouldn't be able to underwrite it anymore. But uh, just something to think about in the future. I mean, again, just oh, what is it? Uh, another quote from the book, uh, record stores are the glue for music loving freaks. And vinyl yeah. certainly is that to a, a large degree. And it's uh, won't be able, no, won't be able to make the conference this year, but down the line, it might be. It's definitely uh, something that I, that I I could see myself sitting in and just learning more. Well, we just also announced a conference to your question about consumers. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're doing a European event um, on August um, 28th and 29th in the Netherlands. And it is attached to something called the um, Harlem Vinyl Festival. Uh, Harlem is right outside of uh, Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so we're we have the first two days with our conference um and then the second two days are um a record fair so it's more consumer facing okay and uh before before uh, we let you go i did want to get your thoughts on uh with pressing plants and you know more popping up blessedly and uh, although i got to tell you my last name is pervoznik so I, when i get an album that says made in czech republic I get a kick out of it, and I well put the, put the sticker on my forehead for a couple of a couple of hours. But uh, so, uh, what what are your thoughts on uh, artists like Metallica, kind of just taking taking the reins and uh, buying their own uh, pressing plants? Well, I think it's great, and in fact, we just found out that um, it, um, Pearl Jams has a, has an employee who's um, going to be at our event, and there's a rumor nice. that they might be buying into a plant as well. So, <laughs> um, so and in fact, uh, Furnace um, Pressing in uh, Virginia um, is the uh, company that um, Metallica bought a controlling interest in. Mm -hmm. um, so their founder, uh, Eric Astor, is gonna be speaking at our event. Um, no, he, I, I assume he's gonna talk a little bit about that. Um, but you could see white bands like Metallica and Pearl Jam, um, who are basically the Grateful Deads of today. You know, yeah. in terms of there's such a rich archive of world of life performances, and the and the fan base is such a um, you know rabid, rabid completist that they need to have everything. Yeah, I think I need to add Pearl Jam to someone having having on vinyl now because you know just and not just because it's been the black circle and drop 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 on the needle. But uh, so uh, I'm, I'm glad they're doing that. Uh, it's just, again, it's it continue, continuing. Uh, it's a tradition that it's, it's music. It's something it, it's not disposable. Then that's and I, I, I've got another streaming services. That's how I learn about new music now. And then I go on, I'll buy my, my, my I, unlike you, Larry, I don't buy CDs anymore because my, my car player doesn't work. And it's 
only the blue blu-ray around the house but i've got that lovely thing i, I always forget which side is there we go there's the, there's the turntable down there uh, underneath my little well when burt baccarat um passed away in march um i wanted one collection that had all of these great artists doing his songs mm -hmm. and i couldn't find that on vinyl but i bought for 30 dollars um from a Canadian reseller, actually, um, a two CD set. So, you know, it was $30 including shipping. So I was like, well, you know what? This is exactly what I was looking for. So, <laughs> and again, phys physical product is the main thing. And, you know, if you learn whether it's De La Soul recently came back, you know, after years of uh, rights issues, not having uh, uh, three feet high and rising available on streaming services. Now it's on vinyl, thank God. But you know, you never know when things are going to disappear. If you've got that physical product in your hand, you've got it. And uh, lesson learned with Van Halen's latest, different kind of truth, now out of print. So you know, thank God I got the CD. But uh, so yeah. But well, before we go, Jim, Christine. Yeah. All right. Well, Larry Jaffe, with uh, you know from from making vinyl. Thanks for joining us, and folks, be sure to check out Larry's book. Record Store Day, the most improbable comeback of the 21st century. Amazing read. And I'm a slow reader, and I finish it in, in four days, folks. If I can read a book in four days, you'll have it done in a couple hours. So check it out. And Larry Jaffe, thanks again for joining us here on All Over the Place. Okay, yeah, thanks for uh, again for having me. And what, the, the one last thing I want to say is why the book is called The Improbable Comeback. Yes. is It's because... It defies all technological, economic, uh, ecological sense in the digital age. I mean, it's really expensive to make a record, you know, in terms of raw materials. I mean, much more effort is, is being made now than it was in the heyday of the 70s or early 80s, you know, before first cassettes and then CDs uh, took over. So right. yeah, it really is, you couldn't make this up. Um, I do have a friend who, uh, Bob Irwin, who um, founded a company called uh, Sundays, who in 2002 told me that vinyl was going to come back, and I didn't believe him. <laughs> I recently spoke to him last week, and I, I told him that. I said, well, you were the first person. And he's actually credited in the book in the first chapter. Mm -hmm. I mentioned that. <laughs> so. Well, no, no disrespect to the great LL Cool J, but do call it a comeback. It's going to be here for years vinyl. Larry Jaffe, thanks again for joining us on All Over the Place. And folks, we will be back real soon. Take care, everyone. Thank you. You've been listening to All Over the Place, the official podcast of Media Pub Live. If you like what you've been listening to, and you know you have, be sure to share it with friends and family, social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, wherever. herein have been the opinions of the hosts, the producer, and the guests only. You have listened at your own risk. All over the place, and I love fun sanity. <laughs>